Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Uh, we've arrived at the wisdom factors of the Eightfold Path, and I think it would be useful to sort of review a little bit of where we've come from um, chronologically in John in the, in the program here. We've gone through the Four Noble Truths, and uh, we'll tie that together and then get to get to the wisdom factors. So. I'll start with some uh, some of the pros from the truth of happiness. Right view and right intention, the wisdom factors. The purpose of practicing the eightfold path is to experience the cessation of distraction of stress. Stress describes the ongoing mental and physical states experienced in the phenomenal world. Stress ranges in experience from general unsatisfactoriness and disappointment to extreme emotional and physical suffering. It's useful to have that context uh, as we continue here. John's words. Ignorance or lacking wisdom, so as to the truth of human existence, gives rise to the distraction of stress. It is the Four Noble Truths that provide an understanding of ignorance and the pervasiveness and the distraction of stress. Clinging and craving is shown to be the origination of the distraction of stress. The third noble truth that shows that the cessation of stress can be developed. And the fourth noble truth is the truth of the path leading to the cessation of unhappiness and stress. And that's the eightfold path. So it's pretty important that we understand right view as the entry point to the Dhamma. It's both the entry point to the Dhamma and it's ultimately the state of our minds uh, as we practice the Eightfold Path and we continue to have a mind that becomes less and less distracted with the world. Uh, we've described that often as practicing restraint, practicing restraint at the sense gates. Um, so it's, it's important to see that right view is something that's going to frame our entire practice the, for, for the long haul here. This is, this is the one that we really need to take to. And as, as we uh, mentioned, it, it starts with the initial understanding that there's something that we may not know here, such as Four Noble Truths. So to continue. Developing right view is developing wisdom. The Buddha's words, the Buddha describes right view. And what is right view? Knowledge with regard to stress, knowledge with regard to the origination of stress, knowledge with regard to the cessation of stress, knowledge with regard to the path or the practice that develops the cessation of stress. This is called right view. Now, we just sort of reviewed that, that we're talking about in the, in the right there, the Four Noble Truths are encapsulated. And it also, the word that is repeated is knowledge. And it's important to understand that knowledge has replaced an ignorance that was that we had initially we didn't know the four noble truths and now we're starting to see that there's some truth to this 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 the buddha described this and and it's proven to be true that 
stress occurs, we contribute and we personalize worldly experience to create the stress by following the guidelines that is the path, we can experience that cessation of stress and we have a path to do it. And it's really important to consider that, that as we've learned in previous talks, David and, and I have connected on this, that Saraputta emphasized a lot on the cessation of stress. It's important to, to really get a thorough understanding of how we create the stress, but we've got to get to that point where there's a release and right view helps us understand what is the right way to release this and the right way to go. And we'll get to that as opposed to a wrong way. So John's words, right view is the knowledge and understanding of the four noble truths. Right view is turning away from ignorance and distraction. I would add the modifier of stress. John's words continued. Right view is considered the forerunner of the eightfold path. The Buddha's words. And how is right view the forerunner? One discerns wrong view as wrong view and right view as right view. This is one's right view. And what is wrong view? There is nothing given, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed. There is no fruit or result of good or bad actions. I'm going to to stop. There's a little more in there, but, but I think it's important that we stop there. Um, because as we said, if we don't have the correct view of how we personalize and make stress, then we're not going to, we're not going to get, we're not going to get anywhere. We're going to be spinning our wheels. It's important that we, we have to offer in this sense, our offering is, is we're offering up our own ignorance. We're emptying that ignorance. That's what we've done. And if we, if we take to the four noble truths, we find that this practice actually does start to really release us from, from what we call stress. So if we continue along, initially wrong, wrong view is simply recognized, John's words. As right view is developed, actions originating in wrong view are abandoned. It is wrong view that continues to develop karma and it is wrong view, that, <laughs> excuse me, wrong view that due to karma causes rebirth. Wrong view is caused by ignorance and right view is an expression of wisdom. Um, we've all experienced at this point the teachings that John has given us under Pendra origination and we can understand that if we don't have that action, like we just said, of empty ignorance of four noble truths, we're going to continue to develop wrong views of self that will lead to a stressful experience of life. So that's what's meant here. Wrong view is caused by ignorance. And right view is an expression of wisdom. Just bear with me here. I'm sorry. Right view supports and informs all of the components of the Eightfold Path. Having engaged with Four Noble Truths, right view brings a wisdom brings wisdom to a mind previously stuck in ignorance and confusion. The Buddha explains the consequences of wrong views. This is helpful because it's, it's important to understand what the right path of practice is. And as we just described, what will continue to give birth to stressful experiences 
we, we can describe that as the wrong path of practice. The Buddha's words, in a person of wrong view, wrong resolve comes into being. Wrong resolve could be called wrong intention. In a person of wrong resolve comes wrong speech. In a person of wrong speech comes wrong action. In a person of wrong action comes wrong livelihood. In a person of wrong livelihood comes wrong effort. In a person of wrong effort comes wrong mindfulness. In a person of wrong mindfulness, wrong concentration. In a person of wrong concentration comes wrong knowledge. In a person of wrong knowledge comes wrong release. This is how from wrongness comes failure, not success. Now, let's not get too hung up on the language of failure and success, but I think we can understand that it comes stress and release. Those are the sort of wrong versus right. And it's important to tie in sort of this other teaching. Just give me one second. The Buddha explains John's words, how right effort and right mindfulness directly contribute to developing wisdom, or as we've described that wisdom as right view. One tries to abandon wrong view and enter and remain in right view. This is one's right effort. One is mindful to abandon wrong view and to enter and remain in right view. This is one's right mindfulness. Thus, these three qualities, right view, right effort, and right mindfulness, run and circle around right view. And I think that right there is a good sort of point for us to, to focus on. That the initial understanding to take to Four Noble Truths is simply, it's a, it's a starting point. We've got to actually commit that effort to abandon what we thought we knew. And, and that's not Four Noble Truths until we came to experience them. So we've got to enter and remain in right view. And we've got to enter or we've got to skillfully hold in mind what we've learned in a couple of weeks ago, the four foundations of mindfulness. If we hold in mind the four foundations of mindfulness, we find ourselves coming back to the sensation of breathing, acknowledging the quality of our mind, that helps us depersonalize the world as we're in contact with it. That's how we're entering and remaining in right view. We're practicing the Dhamma. We're meeting the Dhamma in life or the Dhamma is meeting us there, so to speak. And, and that's the sort of, like we said, the viewpoint from which we now live our lives. We have the understanding of Four Noble Truths. We have an understanding. We know where we can go wrong, given this path that has been laid out for us by an Arahant, such as the Buddha. And it's up to our effort. It's up to our practice. And, and this is really why, especially tonight, this, this effort uh, and, and these, th this point at the Dhamma, you know, right intention where we're, where we're sort of leading now after we've talked about right view is, is really after we've established a practice, we've taken refuge in, in, a, in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. We, we've, we've done that. Now we've got to have that attention to, intention to go and really have that personal responsibility that only the Dhamma can, can show us that, that we've got to go in here. To, to find out, you know, why we're craving and clinging, the, 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 the sort of the, the meat of the Dhamma. That's, that's very big. We have to understand why we're upset and or why we want things to be different than they are, why we 
attached to this stressful experience when when we really put some time in on the cushion and start to see ourselves in action as we've described it we realize that it's it's does nothing but lead to one place and one result stress it's been described earlier in, in the words here that's simply uh, agitation in the mind it could be daydreaming it could be as uh, some of us are experiencing some pain some, some fatigue some all of these things they all come up as stress so we're talking about building the right foundation to release all of this and that's why cessation becomes so important so i think it's i think we can move on to right intention and one brief piece that i'd like to tie in here from the Maga Vibhanga Sutta, an analysis of the Eightfold Path, which was recently brought up in the retreat. And, th and this is the Buddha's words. This, friends, is right view. Uh, we just went over that. I'll read it again. Let's, let's review. What is right view? Knowledge with regard to stress. Knowledge with regard to the origination of stress. Knowledge with regard to the cessation of stress. Knowledge with regard to the way of practice leading to the cessation of stress. This is right view, the Buddha's words. And what is right intention? Being mindful of the intention to recognize and abandon wrong views. We just sort of described that process, how we create wrong views, how we attach to them and how we feel the results of them. Continuing with the Buddha and what is right intention? Being mindful of the intention to recognize and abandon wrong views. Being mindful of the intention to remain free from ill will. And thirdly, being mindful of the intention to remain harmless to all beings. This, friends, is right intention. So we start to see that right intention, it, it starts in us, but then it it's going to start to inform our behavior and our, how, how we are out or how we are interacting with the world. And that's going to lead us further down the path to next week, which is the virtuous factors, the expression of our understanding and our developing wisdom as we take to this path. So that's here, that's here included in right intention. You know, we have to have the intention to abandon our own craving and clinging. And then as we, we start to get familiar with that and know that and develop that knowledge, we have to remain free from putting it somewhere or wanting it to be out in the world. And that's remaining harmless to others and having that ill will. Now that we're, we're not establishing ourselves anymore. We've got to start to learn what that's like. And we'll start to see that as we interact with the world. And that's, that's the expression of our understanding. Again, it, it's, it's done through our virtuous actions, through our behavior. Um, sort of have described this in previous talks that the virtuous, you know, the wisdom factors guide our understanding, the virtuous factors guide our behavior, the concentration factors guide our practice. So that's sort of where we are on the path for this stop on the Dhamma train. Um, Apologize if it was a little bit in the middle there, um, but I think we got to where we needed to go. And
it's great to see all of you. So why don't we go around and see how everybody's doing tonight? Let's pick a number. Roulette wheel goes on to Rom. <laughs> Age before beauty tonight. Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh wait, we got we got one. You're not quite there yet. Oh no no no! I'm 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 the bit squeak here. <laughs> but anyhow, um, <clears throat> yes, um, right view and right intention. Um, <clears throat> I, I in a in a previous talk I had um, put right mindfulness and right concentration and in an analogy as, as the Dharma, as a, uh, as a car. <laughs> um, so right, um, right concentration was kind of the starter motor and right mindfulness was the, uh, the engine itself. That's what moves along. Mm. Um, for the wisdom factors, um, I could push that analogy a little bit further. Um, this is really the steering wheel of the of the Dharma. Yes, yes I, I agree. I was having a guide a map and compass thing was going on. Like we're out at sea, we've got a the rugged map and the compass. We're, it's telling us the direction to go. I like that. That's right. Yeah. 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 I don't know how far I can push this, uh, but <laughs> I'll try and bring it up for the virtues factors as well. I'm working on that one. <laughs> um, it, uh, stay tuned for Saturday. <laughs> oh, that's very good. I like that. That's it. It's a really nice way to simplify and, and keep the understanding real. That it, it does help guide our direction. It's it's mm -hmm. it's really neat. Thank you. And it's it's as you said, there's the, it's the entry point, and it is it is the uh, um, it is the final point as well. Um, we start with an idea of um, of the Dharma, and working our way through the eightfold path, working with and on the eightfold path, we finally end up with a. Uh, with a clear view of what we're doing and why we're doing it, mm. um, and it is it is good to to check on that almost daily. Like, are we on track here? I mean, is is am I going in the right direction? Am I spinning my wheels? What's going on? Um, right. Check you know, after maybe after meditation in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. Quick check. And yeah. uh, then you're good to go for the day. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's really neat to see how effort, right mindfulness uh, and right effort tie into to right intention and sort of the wisdom mm -hmm. factors. Um, let's go to Mike. What are you napping over there? <laughs> I was until you woke me up. I'll tell, I'm going to tell the boss that you're sleeping in class. Please. Uh, very, very nicely done, Kevin. Um, I'm just going to give my view on 
what right view is. Uh, extremely important concept to understand. Without the understanding of right view, your practice probably won't go as it should. Uh, understanding it is not so simple. Uh, uh, enacting it is also not very simple. But once you understand it, you can understand the, uh, the beauty behind it uh, or the truth and wisdom uh, that is woven into it. Right view is we all see the, each one of us here, okay, has a phenomenal world we live in that we create in our own mind. Every one of us. We can experience the same thing as we are today. We're experiencing Kevin teaching this class to us today. But we'll all have a different way of, of viewing it and interpreting it, okay? So that's our phenomenal world that we're creating it. Although we might have like ideas, no, no two ideas, each of us have a unique experience here. So the phenomenal world for us, and we go, go about our, our everyday experience, everyone has a different experience in this world. And we, are, we form ourselves, our, our, our consciousness forms, uh, and, um, as, and it forms in a, in a way that we favor things or we hold things in favor or we find things to be stress-causing. So these things all are part of our phenomenal world. What is this when we do this, when we're, when we're forming our, our own phenomenal world or our reaction to this, to this external world, we are, we are forming ourselves, okay? So to recognize that this form that we are giving life to or we're feeding is from a deluded mind. Our minds are deluded, right? So how can we form right view of the world when our minds are deluded, right? Right. Are you good on that? Yeah. So, and where does it, how do they become uh, deluded? They become deluded because of, uh, we don't even realize when we are being self-referential. Self-reference gives, gives rise to the ego self. The ego self is that which, which forms our world for us when we choose to be, uh, give rise to the ego self. Yeah. So it is in that moment of self-reference that we can, we can decide to, to put an end to self-referential views in that very moment. And once we put a, once we concentrate and we, once we recognize self-referential views, that's the point at where we can realize that, hey, that's not me, that's not mine, that's not who I am, but I know what that is. That is a nata. That's the not self. So that's who we are not. When we recognize our own ignorance, our own self-reference, and that is the birth of the ego self. It's the, it's the, it's the beginning of the end to the ego self when we recognize self-reference. That is the development of right view. Okay? Yeah. So put an end to be, uh, be aware of self-reference self, self -reference and 
our ignorance subsides as we practice the Dhamma. Um, it is the it is the only way for us to go forward and live the Buddha's Dhamma is in right view, because right view gives rise to an understanding of the whole path. Uh, and if we think of our pain and suffering arising from self-reference, then we also realize that void of self-reference, our minds will be will be uh, released uh, from the abandonment of the ego self. Right? Yeah. All good? Yeah. So again, I think that's a pivotal point for us to kind of get an understanding of where the origination of right view arises from. And it comes down to self-reference in relation to the world we live in, but also to the world that we create in reaction, uh, the world that we create in our own minds. Yeah. And there, that world that we create, we have to realize that it's from a deluded mind until it's from, until it's from a right-minded view. So with that, that recognition, that's where we will be start to, we say, this is not me, not my, not who I am. Yes. And we can start shipping away at the root of ignorance known as self-reference. <laughs> yes, very good. That You described understanding stress and understanding the craving and clinging, you know, the origination of stress very well there. And that's, that's what we're doing. That's how we get to experience that cessation. We have to know right direction. We have to know the, know the thing that's causing us this stress and know what it is. And yes, describe well, it's called Anatta. Very good. Yes. Julia, how are you? Hello. Hello, everybody. And uh, thank you, Kevin, yes. for, the, for the teaching today. Um, I wrote notes, of course. <laughs> I can't, I can't, uh, I can't have, you know, divert from my way of uh, communicating. I, I can't, I, I couldn't just like talk off, talk off, you know, just oh, like yes. that. It's too hard for me. So I'm going to read what I have. I'll try to read it slow so everyone can understand it. Um, in heightened wisdom, the faculty of penetrative understanding is augmented in which we understand things as they truly are. The emergence of the ego self in an environment of impermanence causes suffering and confusion that is not personal. This understanding of emptiness and impermanence, one can abide in single-minded concentration, free from self-referential views. What remains is viewed as what is seen is only seen, what is heard is only heard, and what is cognized is only cognized. Right view provides the perspective for practice. Right intention, the sense of direction. This is further developed in heightened concentration, which brings equanimity and dispassion needed to develop wisdom. Right view is the guide for the entire path. It governs our thoughts and actions and our complete orientation of our existence. It releases us from all fabricated conditioned thinking to experience profound emptiness and be present. Right view is interwoven in all aspects of the Eightfold Path. We have to start with this view to seek and to take up the practice of deep meditation. Through right meditation, concentration matures. The eye of wisdom is opened and the mind is free from bondage, able to live dispassionately, moment by moment as life unfolds. The path begins with right view and ends in right meditation where the mind is free 
of wrong views rooted in ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's <go>. it. <laughs> that was really nice how you said that right view is the perspective and right intention is the direction. I like that. That's great. John, uh, I have to give a shout out for those of you who've been with us a while, used to refer to this. This will help some of the new uh, folks that right view, uh, I'm going to read from his, John's words, without pers the perspective of right view, developing the path of liberation would be like planning a trip to Los Angeles when you were departing from New York, but believing and insisting that you were in Chicago. It is impossible to arrive at your destination of lasting peace and happiness without first accepting the quality of your mind in the present. Achieving liberation and freedom from stress cannot be realized without first accepting the truth of stress and its causes. So that's sort of what we're describing, that we've got to get oriented here and say, wait a minute, it's not all out there in the world that's this stressful, that's making this stressful. It's coming from right here. Right here, right yep. there. Right there and right there, yeah. You know, we got that part. Yeah, brilliant. Really like that. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. Let's go to... Meg. Hey, Meg. Aloha. Aloha. How's everybody today? Good, Thank I hope. Well. Staying warm, trying to. <laughs> oh, I bet it's cold there. It's yeah. very rainy here, so... Um, so I love this chapter. It's, um, it's, I, I've really been working a lot with in the last week or two with how to incorporate a lot of this stuff into, you know, the world as it is right now, being so polarized and everybody's so attached to their way of thinking and we're having to live with this every day because of covid and you know the election and all that stuff and and so this is a, like the perfect storm for practicing this stuff you know it just makes you have to really pay attention and focus and so for me i I had to come up with some kind of a, a plan, like a daily plan for how, how I'm going to apply this. And I like this chapter because it talks about how important right view is. It's like a starting place. And, and then I also read something about right view being, um, being um, wise discernment using wise discernment. So I guess that's kind of interchangeable in a way. But then it's like, where do you, how do you get to wise discernment? You know, and I have to like temper certain things um, before I can even get there, you know, and um, like taking things personally or being attached to a way of thinking or something like that, you know. These are the things that I, I notice trigger other people too. And so, so I, in thinking about it, I, for me, I have to put myself first in a place of loving kindness and compassion, you know, because if I'm, if I'm not there, then I, it's like, I can't do these other things. And then the second thing is, to 
um, it has to do with just being this, having this dispassionate, mindful presence. So in other words, dispassionate to me means getting my feelings and emotions and thoughts out of the way and really, and really paying attention and being present with somebody. Yes. And then, um, so if I have that loving kindness and compassion, and then I'm just making that effort to be present, it's like all that other stuff just kind of gets out of the way. And then I can start to see, oh, okay, what's the right way and the wrong way to act here? You know, right. cause you can kind of feel what's coming in from somebody so that I'm not creating, um, you know, a, another situation where somebody's, you know, taking something personal or I'm taking something personal or, or reacting in some negative way, you know, because I think it's really important for us to all come together at this point and be able to talk to each other. So I think these are the three important things that I come away from this chapter with. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you just described you know, sort of entering into the, the practice and being gentle with yourself ultimately. And that provides you with the concentration to start to act with virtue when you're out in the world. And, and that's really the best we can all do at this point is to be very gentle with ourselves. And, and with other people well. too. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really hard out there. I mean, it's as hard as up. It's harder for them. They don't even have this. So yeah, a lot we of people don't. Yeah, really so gentle. I mean, that's that's yeah. a good point. I mean, look, the the first double truth is in capital letters right now. This lately, you know, it's it's pretty stressful out there. For if, you, if your mind, like we said, if you, you don't know where you are and you want to go to Los Angeles, you don't even have an idea where your mind is, where the stress is coming from. Pretty well, easy to find something to people, stress you out today. These days, you can find something to stress yeah. you out. And I find a lot of people are like really fearful right now too. So yeah, um, another another result of a distracted mind that uh, you know, unfortunately, it's it's tough to get a hold of. You gotta you gotta lasso that thing in here. And this is we we talked about that in a few earlier weeks that jhana meditation is like we are, are taming a baby wild elephant. Such a beautiful metaphor but you know we, we train the mind to not pull on the rope all the time not not to want to be wandering we're always there with people we, we're, we're in the world as it's occurring and that's how we don't take things personally how we find ourselves in right view to answer your question is we try and come back to the sensation of breathing and, and acknowledge that our mind is just a mind and it's just a stressful time in the world and we got a sangha though <laughs> All right, let's go to Jen, teacher Jen, probably had a long day. I, yeah, I look like I had a long day. Oh, I, I don't mean, I just, you know, I need tall all day, so that's what I mean. Hi, everybody. That's why I wanted to teach for you tonight. Not, not uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I, I think the reason why it's important to kind of have these two, these wisdom factors lumped together, you know, so right view is understanding the Four Noble Truths. 
really profoundly, deeply understanding it. So first we understand it cerebrally. And then over time, as we develop our practice, we become more and more profoundly aware of right view. So, and I loved Meg's question. How do you get to right view? You get to right view using right intention. You hold in mind the intention to abandon craving and clinging, to abandon ill will, to recognize and abandon, recognize and abandon. Man, recognition, that took me months. Just recognize it. Just be able to, to see yourself and act and, and, and all of these things, recognizing, but now I completely forgot what they all are. Recognizing, I help me. Think it's sort of that, tri- that in this, what we, we saw is there's the three, it's right view, right intention, and right effort are sort of supporting each other that we practice, but, we got to keep practicing and get to know what a calm mind feels like. But when you, when you hold in mind the intention to recognize and abandon craving and clinging, and you hold in mind the intention to recognize and abandon ill will, and you hold in mind the intention to recognize and abandon harm towards yourself or others. Every time you recognize, say ill will, it's an opportunity to, to, to get insight into your own mind and how you're I make it how how your ego self or how your not self is telling you what you need to be calm and at peace how it's how it's deluding you how it's keeping you ignorant and so anytime that you have the opportunity to recognize that then you gain insight into your mind and you get closer to developing right view. So that's all. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I mean, that's, that's sort of what we were, you were sort of hitting on dependent origination from, from feeling comes craving, right? From craving is clinging and maintaining as always very wise. Uh, appreciate that. Thank you. How about we go to Slav? You're staying up late out there. Thanks for joining us. Nice to, Meet you. Hi, guys. Uh, what really amazes me uh, is uh, all eight uh, fold pairs, how they interact with each other. It's kind of like, yes, we always mention, oh, you have to start with right you, but it's not necessarily very start from, because even if you start from mindfulness, eventually it's uh, fit right view. Right view is fit right intention. Right, right. intention is right. fit. <clears throat> right uh, living hood and living hood is fit like uh, right concentration and right concentration fit uh, right mindfulness and it's uh, go around kind of like very amazing stuff and <clears throat> yes circular that i i it is right view is sort of always in the overarching context, but yes, I like what you're saying. That yes, it's very interconnected with each other. So yes, yes. You cannot even uh, specify, oh, we have to start with. Yeah, John uh, mentions that in the beginning, that, that it's a, all factors support each other. If you take out right view, 
that's a big one. <laughs> you're going to have a, you're going to be, we're not going to know which direction or we're going to be mis, misguided. Yeah, but important, if you kind of imagine it's a round circle, you have to put a phonable pass inside of the circle. Yes, yes, very good, in the middle. <laughs> a phonable pass is kind of like, like hard for everything. Yes, yes. That's how we come to understand, you know, what, what, where we are, that we have this life that's stressful, stress is occurring, we can stop it, and now we have a path. Yes, it's sort of the, what Ram was saying, it's like the spoke of the wheel. That's what you were sort of saying, you know, the car and the wheel. Very neat how it's, it's, it's tied, you know, the wheel has to have a good center to be able to continue just to go so yeah um and thank you very much kevin for teaching this class it's yeah very nice. absolutely where are you Slav, where are you located cleveland ohio oh okay cleveland oh all right your accent would have thought me otherwise i thought you were in europe uh my accent is from uh soviet union i'm from georgia okay all right well good you're not up too late <laughs> all right let's go to I want to get to Mary. How you doing, Mary? Hi, good evening, everyone. Um, I like, you know, what everybody's saying. Um, I think Jen's emphasis on recognition is uh, always a good reminder that, um, you know, recognizing and abandoning, you know, the question of, how do I just abandon something while well, it's first recognizing it? And so it's recognizing your reaction, recognizing the feeling in your stomach, recognizing, um, you know, however you feel frustration or anger in your body um, and then um, and in your mind. And, you know, then you're experiencing wrong view. Um, and so right view is that equanimity you experience on occasion um that when um you're seeing things clearly the five clinging aggregates are not in your way and um and things just are you know they aren't good or bad or um you know i feel like if john were here he would say the world is a flame just like it was 2500 years ago and it's our reaction to the world uh, through our senses, um, you know, that causes uh, the stress and is wrong view. And um, I've heard it said a couple times tonight that, you know, right view is where it starts and where it ends. And, um, and, and we, we, through our practice, we continue to return uh, to right view. Um, and so these are the fundamental factors of this practice and I can never hear them enough. So thank you, Kevin, and nice job tonight. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, John often would say that we start to see things clearly and that's sort of what right view helps us. You know, we see things clearly now. We see ourselves in action. We see reactions instead of responses or we see the lack of restraint, you know, at times our minds do get worked up, feelings arise, you know, 
they're just feelings. They're not us. We're not our feelings. It's they're, they're just give them time to dissipate. They, they will. Um, Permanent. Tougher than tougher sometimes said than done, but we all do our best. I, uh, is that that's Jane, right? Eileen's iPad. Is that you, Jane? Yes, it is. Hi, Jane. Hi, uh, Kevin. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. Well, in hitting, wonderful. Trying to do um, my best. When I think of right view, I think of when I first started my practice, I mean, the first step for me was just an admission of my ignorance. You know, I am ignorant when it comes to stress and, and everything like that. And then the intent, the commitment, you know, to abandon the ignorance and, you know, um, strive for the wisdom of the Buddha. But I had to first admit to myself, you know, I'm ignorant. And to be honest, it wasn't, wasn't that hard because I wasn't doing a great job with my stress anyway. So, you know, I was open to anything, but um, that was the beginning for me. Yes. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's, and, and you know, as we start to take to this, I, I, you know, the word acknowledge is a good word. We act on knowledge, you know, admitting, and, and I like what you said there. You know, we come to this, under, we, we, we don't have a knowledge, so we got to act on something that's knowledge of the life experience. Four Noble Truths seems to be a pretty good way to do that you know we, we act on this knowledge and we have to be gentle enough to say there's something that we don't understand so it's, it's beautiful thank you tim how you doing out there in the uh i'm doing well constellations <laughs> i like that background yeah um thank you uh to kind of pick up pick up where mike uh and a lot of people were, were alluding to here is the we have to understand what the three marks are to really get a grasp of right view because um and we will in the next few weeks <laughs> I know, but but like the dhamma it's circular so you know you, you have to have and i think all of us here who have taken this course and have had many uh lessons on the marks under kind of kind of can see that because the the knowledge and understanding of stress is a key element to understanding and having knowledge of right view right view is 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 having that understanding of those of those three marks um and of of the four noble truths which is very intricately interwoven yes into that. um yes so, um, no, I, I, I think that, the, the, you know, yes, the three marks are uh, fundamental to understanding this, um, you know, and we will be getting there, I think. Uh, my connection, just also a warning. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the three marks describe dukkha, stress, anatta, the not-self, and anicca, the impermanent environment. So we've covered two of the three pretty close, pretty quickly with reviewing the Four Noble Truths. You know, we have dukkha occurs, and we have it in the First Noble Truth in an impermanent environment. So we pretty much do come to that understanding of anatta until the, uh, the, the crescendo, until we get to cessation, right? That's what we're doing. We're understanding what created this stressful vehicle 
call it a self, call it five clinging aggregates, and then we have proper release, right release, because we've found the correct way that it fabricated itself, right? Right, that's what we do. Well, Very good, Tim. I like that. Well, yeah, we basically talked about the three marks and understand the three marks, and also not just that, but the but the three the three aspects of dukkha. That, that that stress of, of pain, the stress of fabrication, the stress of, of change, of impermanence, mm-hmm. these are all things that um, uh, directly affect whether or not we're being self-referential or whether or not we're being self-aware. Yeah. And, and, and when we are being self-referential, to Mike's point, when we, when we can recognize that we are reacting in a, in a passionate way, to something we are approaching it through the lens of wrong view and and that's that that's that profound i guess i think john had had called it um uh profound right view refined right view correct okay and and that ability to and it, and and it takes it's like any muscle you know it it takes it takes it takes time and effort and it takes that intention that engine that ron talked about uh to, to to keep that car going uh to recognize these things this thing and we can all go off on these tangents and and overcomplicate the dhamma and it's, it's not that it's not complicated but right view and it, it, when it goes into the in, in, in regards to the eightfold path is a circular structure and that i know that a lot of people like to have talked about it being the step by step by step by step, but you know the right view is the starting point, and then everything else kind of inter in, interweaves it through those three marks. So um, that's really all I have to say um, with it. And, but but I think the main thing is what Mike was was really trying to point out was that point where that self-referential nature, which is on a top, that the the not self and self. In an impermanent world, if there's a reaction, there will be dukkha, stress. And so having that awareness, that, that begins the right view. We can go down the path and and have a peaceful, tranquil existence moment to moment. Yes. Yes, I like that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we experience cessation, and yes, we, we, you know, we live our lives moment to moment imbued with now new understanding or understanding from this practice. That's, that's right view. Uh, let's go to David. How are you, my friend? Good evening, everyone. Uh, the, the way I've always approached my practice as I sit and stretch my old body to get ready to sit, uh, I take every teaching and every sit and I build it off of right view because without right view, I could be mindful of many things. I could be developing concentration, but without the understanding of what right view is, not knowing profoundly the Four Noble Truths and what we're doing here, and I, I know I've brought it up many times, Jen's one of her first teachings. What are we doing? Are we just doing it out of rote? 
and you know a, a duty to the sangha or are we truly looking at the four foundations of mindfulness and as things arise understanding what you're experiencing the 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 hindrances when that ill will arises are you recognizing it within that framework of right view so uh, I really, if there's one thing I'm kind of slavish to is really trying to frame every teaching that John does or the, the four teachers in right view and always keep focused on that. So again, thank you, Tim, for your teaching. Thank you, David. Now that's, that's really valuable. Appreciate that. Uh, you know, right, right view is where we can you know, sort of check in with our, our practice. And it's, it's like you said, it's so subtle and it's, it really does require some, uh, you know, you have to prioritize the right view. You have to prioritize it. It's, it's well said. And Josh, you're not sleeping, are you? All right. <laughs> How are you, my friend? Bright and bushy tails here. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Kevin. I've really enjoyed what everybody had to say, and and uh, you're saving the 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 worst for last. I'm afraid, but but uh, 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 I yeah, Timothy has said some things that I I really enjoyed. Um, And I'm, I don't hope I don't ramble too much here, but but uh, it got me to thinking that from a human evolutionary standpoint, our brains were hardwired to set the world aflame. Mm -hmm. Hardwired for stress, yeah, really. They're hardwired to to preserve the self. Yes. So inherently, it's, inherently, our brains are hardwired to be self-referential. That we want to, uh, and, and and for fear, we want to we want to be, we hold on to fear that you know if we make the wrong decision, uh, especially from an evolutionary standpoint, we would be eliminated. Right. And and uh, a huge part of the uh, human brain is especially males. Is getting our genes into the next generation, mm -hmm. so we're we're kind of dominated by that. Yes. So when the Buddha came along twenty five hundred years ago, he understood that even though we're kind of hardwired for self preservation, that is simply impossible because we're all going to die. So how do you resolve this, this conflict that we go through life trying to, to get belong to the right tribe, accumulate more wealth, more this, more that, more women, uh, uh, more prestige. And, and, 
he understood somehow that that wasn't right. And he said about how do we rewire our brains and came up with yes. Buddhism. So to me, right view is basically understanding that basic idea that we have to rewire our brains. Yes. And that, that leads us to that. That's sort of the doorway to right intention. And, you know, your question, maybe Ram would uh, also answer it, but you know, how do you balance all those things? And it comes back down to the intention, you know, what is the intention behind, you know, being successful or being, uh, you know, having a family, having, all these different things, there's no, you don't need to deny yourself of those, but if the intention is to be the greatest accumulator of things or the, you know, the greatest, you know, whatever it may be, you know, to be better than Will Chamberlain at, at a lot of things, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's the intention behind it. Wise restraint has to come in there, semi. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, the dilemma I have, uh, often is knowing the difference between wise and unwise restraint and uh, uh, just for that where you walk that path so but it's been a wonderful discussion and, and thank you to everybody yeah thank you can i say something uh george please, please Ron. um i often thought of this this uh, uh view that the buddha is is trying to to undo uh, the effects of evolution on our minds, uh, because as he sees it, you know, in our individual lives, this is not serving us. It may serve the genes, the gene pool, but it's not serving us as an individual. You know, all the the uh, desire uh, comes in as a as an evolutionary force. Uh, and it does nothing but screw us up. Um, and, and so with a lot of things, uh, I, I find it, this, it, this look of, of at, at the Buddha as the, uh, the, the final anti-evolutionist, uh, it is a wonderful way to look at it. You know, all the things that made us such a, um, successful species. I mean, deadly successful because we have now taken over the complete planet uh, and, and are about to just, you know, destroy it completely. Um, he, he's willing to undo that. And he sees what the, what, what the effect of it is on our individual and that, and that the, the forces of evolution, this is what's causing us stress. Yeah, very good. I like Josh how you describe sort of this rewiring. That's that's what right view is really getting down to. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's changing the way we think. Can I how we think, Kevin? Yes. Um. So, with what with Ram and Josh was saying, so here's the here's the paradox. I yes, the the evolutionary uh, uh, discussion on that is very profound, but. I think I would also suggest that 
this is really who who we really are is there. It's it's just that the environment that we that we are in, okay, the entanglements, the environment that we are in, has this not self, this this stressful self-referential ego self at the forefront. The true human nature is really the one that's kind of being locked away. And so this is where that awareness and referential thing comes in. Um, to Ram's point, yeah, if, as, if we could go back, you know, 100,000 years and hunter-gatherers, life was a lot more simpler. There weren't as many entanglements. There were, there were very direct evolutionary things that we had to do to survive. The world has changed. Our minds kind of haven't. So... I would suggest that our ability, humans' ability to have a peace, peaceful, tranquil life and live like the Buddha is, is potentially there for all of us as a, as a point of nature. It's just that we are, have been programmed and conditioned, conditioned to live this, this life of suffering and dukkha. Yeah, we've been distracted. That's right. For generations and generations. And what, the minute we're born. The minute we're born, and as we grow up, yeah. all those things are perpetuated. What are people doing? Yeah, they're putting things in your face to try yeah. to distract you. Throw bells and throw food in your face and all this stuff. People making weird voices at you. I mean, give the kids a break. But there's the paradox. There's the paradox. They, they both exist together. One is one is not self. One is self. One is referential. One is awareness. That's how I look at it when through the lens of right view. Yeah, and then and the Buddha described that in the uh, the fire discourse. You know, we, we start to realize that the world is a flame. We 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 are now evolving, fully maturing, as we've said, to, to realize that there's more to life than setting yourself on fire every chance you can. Not going to work out that great. It's going to got to put out a lot of fires. It's a lot, a lot of fires you got to put out. So. Yeah, I would say. Just to like Tim's point, great point, everybody's, um, that sort of the way I think, look at it is that the, the not self is, is the evolutionary kind of survival mind and it can, ex it can coexist with your wise mind. It's just that we are, what we're, what we're doing in our practice is training wise mind to be the forerunner and and have you know the conditioned mind the autopilot to to kind of just be in the background or just be an aspect of mind and to to really bring mindfulness and and concentration and right view to and wise mind to the to the fore and and that is you know, um, I would argue against hardwiring in any way that it's it's all just which pa neural pathways are you are you using more and therefore training and therefore you know creating um, you know deeper grooves or tendencies to um, have wise thinking or discernment regularly. But that e that that ego is is that's the evolutionary that's the, the reptilian mind. It's survival, 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 and and we as a culture are 
running with that. We've empowered That's, that. We've empowered that. Right. Yeah, we've empowered that. We, however, we still need that for when someone's cutting you off in traffic or something falls off the whatever, getting hit by a snowball, you duck out of the way, whatever it is. But that that's Kevin, that's where if you practice a little, you'll get some relief. If you practice a little bit more, you'll get more. And if you practice to the ultimate that us as householders can do, then you'll have a higher level of release. And I think we as householders have to come to that determination of we may not be able to reach the highest level of a uh, sequestered monk, but release is possible. Release to make your lives more easeful and peaceful and wholesome and that in itself is worth the path. So I would just say, you know, in this world where you're going out into traffic, that it's possible not to be affected by it as much as it is someone screaming in your face because you disagree with, with them. Very good. Hey, uh, Kevin? Yes. Um, the not-self exists so that we know what the self is. It's rec recognizing the not-self and is what pushes us in a different direction because the not-self will only lead us to stress and suffering until we recognize our own ignorance. And when we start recognizing self-reference, that's when we start recognizing our own ignorance. That, and that self-reference, obviously, if we remove that link from the pen's origination, then, then we, we put a halt, a stall, suffering and stress in our lives. So I think a very uh, pivotal point here is to actually understand the nature of our own ignorance and not only understand it, but to recognize when it's occurring on a, as we go throughout our days, moment by moment, when am I being self-referential? When is, when am I even, even as deeply introspective as it can be? It, if we, if we address it each time that we, we realize that, that it's present, then we are actually putting an end to it from where it begins. So, but I think recognition is the key. Self-referential view is, is the key to understand and to, that's the point where we can start traveling or making our way onto that eightfold path and practicing the eightfold path without self-reference means that we'll have clear view and it's a profound understanding of the eightfold path. That's just what I want to say. Great. Well, I think that covers everything. Everybody 
Good. So we'll um, we'll update with emails, I guess. We'll stay on. We'll, we'll get in touch. Um, we'll we'll yeah. try to stay on top of the email list. And at this point, I guess Thursday is on and Saturday is on at this point. So we'll uh, we'll keep you posted. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody. Great to Bye. see you again. Thank, Thank you. Everybody. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Kevin. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks, Evan. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.